This morning's reading is taken from Matthew chapter 3, and this can be found on page 967 of the Church Bibles. Matthew chapter 3, and we're starting at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. And let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to hear you speak to us this morning. We ask that by your grace and mercy you would open our eyes, uh, unstop our ears, that we might behold wonderful things out of your word and hear the call of the risen Lord Jesus to life, to light and to truth. For your glory. Amen. Uh, once again, if you want to use the translator app, um, the Microsoft translator app, then do um, plug in that code P-E-U-K-T, um, and then you'll be able to hear what I'm saying in a, in a language of your choosing. Um, d- don't use this as an opportunity to catch up on Duolingo, though. Um, you know, if, if you can, try and try and bear with, with at least my... my yeah. Anyway... Um, so for those of you who haven't been here um, uh, for some time, or we've, we've had a little bit of a break anyway, we're, we're in the Gospel of Matthew, um, and what we've been hearing so far is of um, Matthew's description of the, of the king who will come, the one who is Israel's promised son of Abraham, the son of David, the, the king who will lead God's people um, out into um, salvation and save them from their sins. This morning we have, uh, if you like, the first time that the adult Jesus is seen on the scene. We, we have um, the, the Lord Jesus for the first time showing us what his reign will be like, what his leadership will consist of. Good leadership in our day is hard to come by. This week has been an especially rocky one for our political leaders in, in both major parties. And as I was thinking about it, we've, we've had an interesting recent history. We've coronated a new king for the first time in 86 years this year. We had five prime ministers in as many years. It feels like a particularly turbulent time. And as we look further overseas, without getting into the details of things I, I cannot really understand, we see Tyrants and warmakers, leaders who seem incompetent um, at best and oppressive at worst. Closer to home in the church, we have felt recent shakes of leadership scandals. 
those whose pastoral care falls far short of the glory of God's love, leaders whose teaching falls far short of the truth of God's word. And I'm sure each of us here will have stories of leaders who have failed us. And indeed, times where we, as leaders, have failed. Perhaps even this week, we have felt keenly the way that we have failed to lead ourselves and the ones we love to God's glory. Well, this morning... Matthew finally introduces us to the king. He's promised for three chapters now. We met him briefly as a baby some uh, weeks ago, but now as an adult, Jesus, God's promised king, has come on the scene. And Matthew wants us to know that Jesus is the leader that you want to follow. That might sound a bit strange. In in our day, with with all of the things that, that are going on, Leadership feels like something we tolerate, we put up with, we try to sort of allow to the back corners and forget about until it it really can't be forgotten about anymore. Do we want to follow a leader? Well, for us, Matthew this morning has what I believe to be convincing evidence that Jesus is the leader that we should all want to follow. You see... This idea of of bad leadership was familiar to Israel. We've seen a little bit of that so far as we've looked at Matthew. Just over the page in chapter 2, we're introduced to King Herod, the genocidal maniac who slaughtered hundreds of children when he heard that a descendant of the Jewish King David had been born. We thought about that in detail a few weeks back, but just, just think about it. Before Jesus had had time to consider crawling... Herod thought he was a threat. As though Mary and Joseph would batter down his doors and place the infant Jesus on the Roman throne of Israel. And Herod was the kind of king who was happy for as much blood to flow as necessary to keep him in power. And after his death, we hear that Herod's son is no better, forcing Jesus and his family to stay in hiding for many years. So the political leaders were problematic in Israel's day, in Jesus' day. But then just at the beginning of chapter 3, which we were looking at two weeks ago, when John the Baptist, that's God's prophet, encounters the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, his description of them is unrepentant vipers. He calls them to bear fruit, the fruit of repentance, indicating that They were deeply unrepentant. They were vicars and bishops, uninterested in holiness or God's word, whose only love is power and pleasure. The people who should lead God's people into relationship with him, well, they don't really care to know him. Israel was without good leaders, so much so that when John the Baptist, a man who eats insects and lives in the desert, told the people of Israel to repent and believe, They ran to him. The people craved godliness. And the rough around the edges prophet oddly delighted them. Because he actually introduced them to God's kingdom. But he was not their leader. No, he pointed to Jesus. The one whose sweaty, dusty sandals he'd be unworthy to untie. And our reading shows us why. 
Matthew shows us that Jesus is the leader who serves his people first by sharing in their sin. You see, in verse 13 and 14, when Jesus came to John the Baptist to be baptized, John told him, I need to be baptized, and do you come to me? John basically said, I am so sinful, I am so unholy, so broken, and you're the one that takes away the sins of the world, but you're coming to me, to my baptism. What was particularly surprising was that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, turning away from from our sin, confessing our faults, and heading back towards the Lord Jesus. Back in chapter 3, verse 2, John would say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And 3, 6, confessing their sins, the people from Jerusalem and all Judea were baptized by him in the river Jordan. But Jesus had no sin to confess. Paul describes him in 2 Corinthians 5 as him who had no sin. Jesus lived the perfect, holy, sinless life. So why was he coming to John to receive a baptism of repentance? Well, the middle, the beginning of that verse in 2 Corinthians helps make sense of things. God made him who had no sin To be sin for us. Jesus went to be baptized not to repent of his own sin, but to participate in our guilt. You see, Jesus is the king who enters into the suffering and cost of what separates us from God, our sinfulness, and makes it his own. By entering the waters of baptism, He showed that he identifies with the sinner in their guilt. But not only that, because Jesus serves by sharing in your sin so that you can share in his salvation. Jesus also takes away our sin and our guilt from us and provides a way for us to be freed from them. How does that work? Well, the apostle helps us to understand in Romans 6, verse 3, Paul says that all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Our baptism is a, is a participation in Jesus' death in the way that his baptism is a participation in what our death, sorry, our, what, uh, what deserves our death. Let me say that again. Our baptism is a participation in Jesus' death. Just as Jesus' baptism is a participation in what deserves our death. Namely, our sin. Our guilt. The, The Bible uses the word imputation. A transfer of guilt to the, of, uh, of the sinner to Jesus. By the Spirit through faith, where the cost of sin is met by Jesus' sacrifice. Now, a, a, a providential link that I hadn't seen coming up. We're looking forward to baptizing baby Noah later. Well, I think that Matthew wants to point us to the Noah story, the, the story of Noah's Ark. You see, another apostle, Peter, 
links baptism with this story of Noah's Ark in Genesis. God's judgment on the world for its evil. God warned of judgment by a flood and he told Noah to build an ark so that he would survive. The flood was God's wrath manifest in the world as it destroyed evil. Peter explains that the ark saved Noah and his family through the water of God's wrath. But for those of us who are familiar with the story, no. When Noah and his family got off the ark, yeah, they worshipped for a few minutes. But they fell into patterns of sin. Their hearts had not been changed. And so the world continued in sin, in brokenness. The problem of this world is that judgment is coming, but hearts need transforming to be freed from that judgment. Jesus offers himself as our ark through his sacrifice. His death brings us safely through God's wrath by bearing it in our place so that once the storm subsides, we might be transformed by the new life to be found on the other side of judgment. As the end of 2 Corinthians 5 puts it, that that verse we were looking at earlier, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that For the purpose that we might become the righteousness of God. That is, to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. To be made perfect and pure and holy. Not sinful and broken. And all that needs uh, punishment. but, But clean and righteous. Or as Jesus explains it to us in verse 15 of our reading. As John the Baptist comes to him and says... I need to be baptized by you. Why do you come to me? He says, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Paul explains that sharing in Jesus' death in baptism cuts the sin out of the sinner's heart, the Old Testament rite of circumcision in Colossians 2. And, And as we imputed we transferred our guilt to christ so he transfers his righteousness to us by his spirit and so peter says that baptism by water thus becomes a pledge of the spirit's work to bring an innocent conscience in our hearts before god through christ's salvific work to redeem and sanctify us See, this theme of God's provision amidst his judgment occurs at key moments in the history of Israel. In Exodus 12, the Passover, where a lamb is sacrificed to protect the Israelites from the death of the firstborn son, allowing them to escape escape slavery in Egypt and culminating in God holding the waters of the Red Sea back to allow those fleeing the Egyptian army to cross safely. A generation later, we see this image again as God holds back the river Jordan by the ark of his covenant, his symbolic presence with his people, to allow Israel to enter the land that he had promised them. 
There is this constant picture through the Old Testament, recurring, recurring, of God's provision in the midst of of judgment, symbolized in, in water, so that his people might be saved. And a thousand or so years after um, the, the crossing of the Jordan, we find Jesus being baptized in the Jordan. A baptism of repentance. Sharing in identifying with the deserved judgment of sinners. So that they can share in his wrath-bearing death and new life. So, Jesus serves by sharing in your sin, so that you can share in his salvation. And finally, we see that this has been planned by the whole triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've seen the Son, he's entered the waters, he's identified with the sinner, with you and me. He has made a way that 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 transfer could occur. And then the Spirit and the Father step onto the scene. Having identified with those he plans to save, Jesus' leadership is given the highest seal of approval, if you will. First, the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. This is the fulfillment of so many prophecies, but particularly uh, Isaiah's that God's servant king would be full of the Holy Spirit. The one who Joel saw would transform people's hearts. But his appearance as a dove deserves special attention. This might seem like a peculiar detail to include, but it's included by all four gospel writers. So it deserves a little bit of attention. Some suggest that the dove represents Jesus' gentleness in his ministry. Compared to the, the rough and ready um, John the Baptist, he was, he was not um, nearly perhaps as abrasive, some might argue. Although we know that Jesus had his moments where he could kick over tables when he needed to and call people to sharp account. But the baptismal context of of the Spirit's appearance and particularly Peter's connection of baptism to Noah's story makes me wonder whether Matthew seeks to draw us there too. After the storm had subsided in Genesis 8 and the um, Noah and his family were able to open the windows of the ark, they sent out birds to see whether there was Land, dry land, safety. And they sent out a crow, which didn't do a great job. And they sent out a dove that went out and came back, no, no, no hope. And they sent out a dove again. And it came back with an olive leaf in its beak. I wonder whether Matthew wants us to see the spirit who appears like a dove, who proceeds, he goes out from the Father and the Son, from outside of all creation, descending on the Son, who is our ark, our salvation from God's wrath. Perhaps God the Spirit appears as a dove to say, this king, this Jesus, 
is where dry land and fruitful trees are to be found. That that is hope and life through him and beyond God's wrath. Come to him. A week after sending the dove out for the first time, Noah sends the dove out a second time and this time it does not return. Does Matthew want us to see the promise of the Holy Spirit who will go out from Jesus into the world to transform people into his likeness? And then from the heavens above we hear the Father's commendation of his king. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Well pleased because Jesus has identified himself with those who are currently estranged. With those who will call for his death. Who will need his death despite his desire that the cup of wrath be kept from him if at all possible. Well pleased because Jesus will show compassion and love. Fortitude and holy fury at hypocrisy and injustice among his people. And above all. A desire, a commitment to do the Father's will. In the Father's commendation, we hear the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise to bring salvation to the nations. The promise to King David that his son would be adopted as an eternal ruler. Which we see in Psalm 2, enthroned forever. We also hear assurance that the father is not reluctantly tolerating a renegade son's batty scheme. Some today want to set apart the the, the God of the Old Testament and the Jesus of the New. And to say, well, Jesus was lovely and he never did anything that made anybody feel uncomfortable, which is wrong. And God was really, really nasty. But right here we have Father, Son and Holy Spirit... And the father is saying, this is my son on my mission to save my children so that you may be heirs of my love and pleasure too. In this we see the triune God united in their mission to save sinners. The son identifying with them unto death. The spirit empowering and enabling his his sanctificatory work. And the father delighting and commissioning this spirit-enabled king. As the first bishop of Liverpool, J.C. Ryle, put it, it was the whole trinity which at the beginning of creation said, let us make man. Which at the beginning of the gospel, sorry, it it was the whole trinity again which at the beginning of the gospel seemed to say, let us save man. I began by saying that Matthew wants us to know that Jesus is the leader you want to follow. I wonder what you're thinking, what you're feeling about this Jesus. As I reflect on these things, though I know that I fall so far short of following him, day by day and moment by moment, I have to trust entirely upon the fact that, if you like, he has dragged me into the ark. And not that I have chosen to buy a ticket but, but the question that I, that, that, I, that I fumble with is, why wouldn't you want to follow this leader? 
the one who serves you by sharing in your sin. So you can share in his salvation, in his perfection. As was planned by the triune God, the creator of all things. Perhaps you've never followed Jesus before. May I encourage you to look closely. To ponder the hope that is offered in this king. This is no bloodthirsty dictator. This is no um, power-hungry politician. This is the servant king who went to death on the cross. So that you could have something you did not deserve, but will richly enjoy. I encourage you to come back and hear what he's got to say next week to Satan, as you can see. Oh, I've, I've covered it up. Um, next week to Satan, the prince of evil. And then in a couple of weeks' time, as we begin to hear this king teach for himself. And if you are following Jesus, may I encourage you, with all the strength that the Spirit offers, to keep going. The one who has travelled through the waters of God's wrath, and who offers you the restorative, transformational life of the Spirit, whose own Father invites us to call him Father. He will not keep anything good from you, and he will not abandon you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the Lord Jesus for sending a king who rather than sitting enthroned and watching his people suffering and incapable to help them of helping themselves instead stepped into the deepest pit of our suffering our pain and our evil and did not just sympathize though he did that perfectly but took it on himself so that we could be free by your grace and mercy father please would you bolster us give us greater confidence and comfort of these realities that we would know that we have been uh, we have died with Christ in our in our baptism that the spirit is working transformation in our lives that we are no longer guilty of sin but free in the new life that Christ offers by his grace we pray that for all of us those who do not know or have not heard yet and for those of us who have heard and need reminding that in the Lord Jesus we are beloved sons beloved daughters well pleased Amen.